We have been through the uh, Advent season, through the month of December. We've been looking at uh, our Advent theme, which is the angels and the, and the shepherds and Luke's recounting of the day that Jesus was born and asking uh, the question, you know, what does this have to do with us? This, if you are at all familiar with, uh, with Christianity, even if you didn't grow up in a church and you just kind of watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year, you've heard the story of Luke's gospel, of Christ being born in Bethlehem. Uh, maybe so much to the point that it, it's lost some of its, its luster or its impact. And, and the question is, what's well, a nice story? It's wonderful, but it doesn't really have any practical consequence uh, for us today living in 21st century America. So what we've been doing uh, for the last month is trying to answer that question and see how God really uh, is using that event in our life today. So the way we started out this, this journey way back four weeks ago, uh, each of our elders have had the opportunity to do a call to worship in one of our worship services. And Jim Schmidt did a call to worship several weeks ago where he uh, put on the screen several different pictures of light displays around the world. And I, I'm not going to put all of them up that he used, but I, I, we picked out four to bring back up because I want us to think about light. I want us to think about majesty. I want us to think about glory. And when you look at these pictures, this is not Clark Griswold Christmas. This is not throwing it up real quick and, and hoping that the circuit breakers work. These are, are majestic pieces of art. Uh, these are efforts that took who knows how long just to dream up and to, and to sketch out on paper, much less actually execute it and, and make it work. But there's something about this that draws us to it. If you were doing a Google search on this and you clicked on one, I, I promise you, you'd probably click on 50 before you could stop because there's something about light. There's something about beauty. There's something about glory that doesn't just speak to our physical senses, but speaks to our emotions, speaks to us spiritually. And, and it whispers to us, there's something deeper. There's something more profound. There's something more significant. And I want us to consider that, that notion of glory tonight as we revisit one more time this passage in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Hear the word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me for a moment? 
Father, as we, uh, we come tonight to perhaps a culmination of a very busy day, a very busy week, perhaps even a very busy month, uh, making preparations, uh, some traveling great distances to be reunited with family, uh, some hosting uh, large gatherings. Father, some of us coming uh, from uh, a long way emotionally. Uh, perhaps we are struggling, and, and this time of year is actually there's a sadness that's in our life. Uh, Father, perhaps some of us are coming from a place of, of spiritual emptiness. We haven't, we haven't thought about you, and yet there is a longing deep in our heart that seems to continue to go unfulfilled. Father, perhaps we come from a place of smugness where we, we feel pretty confident that we're pretty, pretty good and, and we'll be okay. Whatever distance we have traveled to be here, Lord, it's by your sovereign hand that we're together tonight because you want to speak to us. It's not my words that are important. Uh, my thoughts are simply another person's thoughts, Lord. It is only your eternal word that abides forever. But Lord, as you have gathered us here, we pray now that you would empower us to worship you with our minds and our intellect, that we would know you, that we would love you because you have first loved us, that we would trust you. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would teach us. Forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching this evening, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, I, I believe this principle is true in, in my life, and I believe it's true in the lives of most, uh, if not every disciple of Jesus. The more that I pursue God's glory, the, the more that, that I am, am convinced that my life is to be lived to give glory to God, as the answer to the old uh, Westminster Catechism, the first question, what's humanity's chief end? Humanity's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If that's true, then the more I pursue God's glory, I believe what this passage tells me is the more his peace will flow through me to others. What we want to look at tonight is God's glory and God's peace. And those may seem to be two things that are somewhat related, but, but relatively different. And yet I believe that they actually go together. In fact, I think actually one is built upon the other. And I believe if we will understand God's call to our lives to bring glory to him and to honor him, then what we will find is that God not only gives us his peace, but, but we're compelled to share that peace with others. In other words, the way you and I live really does matter. So let's dive into this by really just two observations, God's glory and God's peace. Let's begin with God's glory. In verse 9, it says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, being the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, if you've ever seen a picture of this or, or a cartoon drawing or, or any kind of, uh, of, of image of this, typically what you see is uh, an angel that's, that's bright as daylight, and there's all kinds of light all around them. They're, they're enveloped in light. And, you, you know, you see the shepherds, and they're kind of down maybe on their knees, and they're kind of hiding their face or their eyes from the light. And you think, oh, my goodness, look at the brilliance of, of that angel. Look at how glorious that angel appears. And yet that's not what the Bible says. That's terribly wrong. What the Bible says is that the angel showed up, and because the angel had been in the presence of God, it was actually God's glory on display. We're not worshiping the angels. We're not, we're not admiring the angels. We're giving glory to God because the angel has come from God with a glorious message. But it's the glory of the Lord that is shining, not the messenger's glory, but, but the one who has sent the messenger to share the good news. So to, so to get this backwards would be like getting a great gift. Now that, I, now that I've learned that Santa's delivering via the postal service, so let's assume that you have a gift that you've been just dying for, you just really wanted. 
Maybe it's a lifelong gift. Maybe something that you, you just, you've been hoping for a long, long time. And the UPS person shows up and they bring you that box and you know it's that gift. You know it's the thing that you have been hoping for and longing for. And the UPS person hands you the box and they say, sign here. And you sign here and then you put the box down and you grab the UPS delivery person. And you hug them and you smother them with kisses and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me the greatest gift I've ever gotten in my life. You're so wonderful. I'm pretty sure two things would happen. The first is UPS would never deliver anything to your house ever again. And your affections would be terribly misplaced. You, you might give them a $5 bill and say, hey, thanks so much for bringing that. Merry Christmas. Go, go have a, almost a whole cup of Starbucks coffee on me, right? But you're not going to give them the credit. You're not going to glorify them for delivering the message. And Luke says it's the glory of the Lord that shows up. And he reinforces that by telling us the glorious message that the angel delivers, the angel says, don't be afraid, not because you don't have anything to worry about for me, but I'm bringing you a message from someone else. I'm bringing you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For to you is born today, this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord, the anointed one of God. Again, we come back to God's glory. God is bent on redemption. He's going to bring about salvation, and his glory is shining forth, not just in the, in the messenger, but it's showing forth in the message. And then the choir finally shows up. The choir finally, I don't know what, the bus broke down on the way, or they got stuck in another solar system, but eventually the other angels show up, and what do they begin to sing? Hey, great job, glory to the messenger? No, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels choir ascribes God glory for bringing salvation. In, the, in these few verses, we see the glory of God as, as the primary thing because of what he is doing, because of the grace that he's extending to people like you and me. And we get to the end of this account, we get to the end of Luke's account, and we find out that the shepherds themselves have now joined in in the celebration. In verse 20, the shepherds return. They went, oh yeah, we got to get back to our day job. And they're hustling back to the field, but as they go, what are they doing? They're glorifying and they're praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What's happening here is God's glory is taking center stage because he is the one that's worthy of praise. To not praise God today for who he is and for what he has done would be spiritually unnatural. What we're doing here is not just a nice little gathering before we go off to family dinner, you know, kind of tradition, let's go to church and feel good about ourselves and, and then get on to dinner. What we're doing is actually the most important thing we can do in all of our lives. We're worshiping and we're bringing glory to God. We're saying, Lord, you are, you are the merciful one. You are the gracious one. And that's the spiritually natural thing to do. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 98 the following words. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. What has he done? His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He hasn't covered it up. He's made known his salvation and revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. That's why God's glory is paramount in your life and in my life. That's why we bow before him and him alone. We worship him for who he is and for what he has done. 
God's glory takes center stage here because he is bringing about redemption for humanity. But the question is, so you can stop there and go, that's great. Let's, let's praise the Lord. Let's sing some hymns and, and, and let's be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that, that would be enough in and of itself. But the passage offers a bit more. Where does this glory intended to lead? And that brings us to God's peace. Because the angels don't just sing glory to God in the highest. They come now to your life and to my life, to our sphere. They, they come down to earth, which is very broken in a very dark place in a place that's filled with suffering and and struggle and strife, and they mention this word peace. And peace, what kind of peace? They're speaking of God's peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now, we spent about half of a sermon a couple weeks ago talking about the folks with whom God is pleased, and and, and it's not good church folk. (laughs) God's not pleased with you because of what you do. In fact, God's displeased with you because of what you do, just as he's displeased with me because there's sin in my heart. There's rebellion in my heart. I don't naturally love God apart from his grace. I don't want anything to do with God. But God's pleased with me because Jesus took my place. Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that I could be redeemed. He exchanged his perfection for my imperfection. So when God looks at me, he sees his son, the Lord Jesus, because I've trusted in him by faith and and he is pleased. And, and that's a, a great truth that Christians have to hold on to. It's the essential truth, that God sees us in Christ. And so the angels could sing this about peace. Peace is coming because God loves you because of what Christ is going to do for you. If that's true, then the glory of God is crucial because it leads me to receive his peace, but also he leads me to share it with others. He doesn't lead me to his peace so that I can just get it all for myself and hang on to it, but he leads me to it so that it will revive my soul, it will enlighten my life in order that my life lived among you would be a life that generates peacemaking, that there's actually an application to God's glory in our lives, which is his peace coming to earth. And we're talking about God's peace, friends. We're not talking about man's peace. Man's peace is fleeting. Man's peace is temporal. There were a group of historians that got together a few years ago, and they set out on a quest, and the quest was this. We want to look at the last 2,000 years, basically since Jesus was walking around on the planet. We want to look at the last 2,000 years, and we want to see if we can figure out how many of those years the earth actually had peace. Now, the way they were defining peace was the absence of armed conflict between people groups. So they're not talking about was there ever a year where somebody didn't murder somebody else or assault somebody else. Was there ever a year when when nations or tribes or people groups didn't go to war against each other? And and it seems to be that that the planet actually had some amount of peace. Out of 2,000 years when they did this research, you know what the model showed? 87 years of peace in 2000. You can do the math. That's a teeny tiny sliver. Why is that? Because we are not naturally a people of peace. We are a people of conflict. We want what we want, and we fight for it. We're taught from the very earliest age, don't let people walk on you. You get what you need to get. And if you need to fight and claw and scratch to get to the top, that's exactly what you do. This world says to us, arm yourself, prepare yourself in whatever way, intellectually, emotionally, and maybe even physically, in order to get your agenda met. In 2018, there were 62 organized armed conflicts in the world. In 2018, there were 126,000 men, women, and children who lost their lives in those conflicts, either as innocent bystanders 
or as active participants. I'm not at all interested in man's peace because it's fleeting. It has no weight and it holds no true hope. Not only is man's peace fleeting, but man's peace is also incomplete. You see, I think we've fallen into the, into the misunderstanding that an absence of fighting means that there's actually peace that's going on when we know that's not true. We know that, that, that simply because we're not arguing with one another doesn't mean we're getting along with one another. It just means for a little while we've decided not to beat each other up emotionally. You, if, you're, if you're a child or a parent and you have siblings, you're not an only child, you probably had an experience where you were going at it with your brother or sister. Or if you're a parent, you've seen this where your children are going at it with each other. And you try to pull them apart. You try to get them to say they're sorry to each other. And then five minutes later, they're going right back at it. And when mom or dad has finally had it up to here, what do they say? You go to your room and stay in there. And you go to your room and you stay in there. And then they, when you're gone, and they plop down on the chair and they say, finally, a couple minutes of peace. That's not peace. It just, it's just a timeout. It's all it is. And as soon as the combatants come out of the room, they're going right back at it. We know that's true because that's what sin has done in our life. And when we suggest that man can create a peace, absence God's glory and absence God's presence, we're like the ostrich just putting our head in the sand and ignoring what's going on around us. And if you don't believe me, watch the movie Home Alone. You've like seen it like 75 times in the last week, right? There's Home Alone, there's Home Alone 2, Home Alone Lost in New York, Home Alone Rides Again. I don't know how many Home Alone movies they are. They basically have the same premise. And the first one was really the only one that was any good. But you have, you have young Kevin, right? And they're getting ready to go out of town. They're going to France on like the trip of a lifetime. And Kevin's the kid that just irritates everybody, right? Kevin's the kid that you just, you just, want, to, you just want to give him a fresh one. And finally, his mom can't take it anymore. And what does she do with them? If this is like in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Where's Kevin end up? In the attic. His mother puts him in the attic and says, you stay in here all night long. <laughs> That's not peace. That's simply separating the combatants. I'm not interested, and I don't believe you're interested in a peace that is fleeting or is incomplete, but that's not the peace that God offers. God offers peace that is complete and it's total, and it offers us a promise that will last into eternity. It doesn't mean that, that we will experience a perfect peace on this earth, but it certainly means that as the Spirit of God is in our hearts and our minds, and as He is transforming us, that as we are in Christ, that that peace changes our lives, and it actually makes us people who want to work for the peace, who want to make for the peace, whether it's speaking out against injustice or whether it's learning to love other people unconditionally and, and sometimes admit we're wrong so that we can ask forgiveness and give forgiveness and we can live under the, the care and the, and the covering of God's peace. Paul says as much in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are now no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God makes his peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what was so glorious that night. 
that was being announced and was being celebrated. That's why we glorify God for the grace that we are receiving through Christ. That's the natural outcome when we celebrate and we rejoice in God's grace. We become an agent of his peace. We begin to strive to reconcile our relationships with his peace. We seek the peace of others. We, we would be ashamed after, after standing and singing and glorifying God to walk out of this place and, and work against God's peace. We would actually think less of ourselves because of that. Why is that? Because the Spirit of God, when he moves in God's worship and in glorifying God, that peace begins to settle and it begins to transform in his people. What God wants to do is bring his reconciling peace to the world, but he wants to bring it through you and me. What I said earlier in my statement is that the more I pursue God's glory, the more his peace will flow, not just to me, but through me to others. Uh, I was introduced to uh, what I, who I think is not like literally introduced him. I'd love to meet him. I'd love to have dinner with him one night. But I was introduced via podcast uh, to uh, the person I think is probably the most amazing uh, historian and accomplished historian on the First World War, a guy named Dan Carlin. If any of you have ever uh, listened to his uh, podcast, Hardcore History, on the First World War, it's truly astonishing. It's over 60 hours of material on the First World War. But there's a small, small clip in, in Carlin's podcast where he acknowledges something that happened 104 years ago tonight. And it happened in the middle of the First World War and, and Carlin, as you'll, because I'm going to play it for you in a second. Actually, I'm not going to play it. The folks at the tech table are going to play it for you. Um, I wouldn't even know how to push the start button. Uh, Carlin can't quite figure out why what you're about to hear has happened. But listen to what, what, what begins it. Listen to what starts it. And you'll be, able to, you'll be able to put two and two together. Watch the screen. Christmas Eve, 1914, on the Western Front. The conditions are horrible. It's freezing. You know, your feet are stuck in gruel, mud, water that you think can't get any worse. And then it all freezes and you're stuck out there in the cold. And then all of a sudden, the people on the Western Front see something relatively unbelievable in a conflict where you have shells going on every second, snipers picking off anyone who raises his head above the trench. And then all of a sudden, soldiers reported hearing singing and seeing weird colored lights. The colored lights were often coming from the German trenches. Soldier Julius Kutchen was in one of those trenches, opposite the French, saying the conditions were horrible. But on Christmas Eve, this is what happened. Quote, Hundreds of men, he writes, were singing the song in that fearful wood. Not a shot was fired. That night I was with a company that was only five paces away from the enemy. The Christmas candles were burning brightly and were renewed again and again. For the first time, we heard no shots. The French, he says, left their trenches and stood on the parapet without any fear. There they stood, quite overpowered by emotion, and all of them with cap in hand. We, too, had issued from our trenches. End quote. All along the line, the two sides would have this interesting moment where they kind of began to emerge from the trenches little by little, you know, a place where they couldn't stick a finger up without having it shot off just hours before. And everybody must have been so incredibly brave to try. But one side would raise themselves up a little bit and the other side would raise themselves up a little bit more until both sides 
in this hellish environment where nobody could go anywhere near, you know, the open air, were standing apart from each other, gazing right at the enemy in no man's land on Christmas. It was an amazing, spontaneous outburst of humanity. And it so appalled the higher leadership that they made sure in future Christmases, nothing like this would ever be allowed again. The only thing that I believe Carlin got terribly wrong there is he calls it amazing, spontaneous outpouring of humanity. That's the only word he could find to describe it. But what happened was God was glorified. And when you're singing Silent Night, it's pretty hard to point a gun at somebody and pull a trigger, even if your commanding officer tells you, tells you to do so. God's glory leads to his peace. A spontaneous outpouring of humanity took place then, you know, a day later when the fighting commenced again. The spontaneous uh, human expression was the commanding generals who said, we've got to make sure that this never happens again. A spontaneous outpouring of human emotion is when a young corporal in the German army who was in one of those trenches and saw his comrades get out and go and shake hands and offer fellowship after worshiping and praising God said, I, won't, I don't ever want to see this happen again. And 15 years later, when he was the one ruling Germany, he slaughtered millions of people. That's an outpouring of human expression. What God is doing is pouring out his grace and his mercy and as we glorify him for that grace and that mercy, as we offer him the praise he deserves, his peace captures our hearts. His peace begins to transform us from the inside out so that we can't help but share his peace with others. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that what we celebrate tonight is, tonight is not an outpouring of, of, of human expression. It is the worship of God Almighty the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who rules over all, is the creator of all, is the sustainer of all life, the one before whom we will stand one day and be judged. But we come to celebrate the fact that this judge has paid the price for every criminal in this room, for every one of us that deserve your condemnation, and justly so, you have given us grace and mercy. And so what was celebrated on the night that our Lord was born was the fact that this was the beginning of the end. That hatred would not win, but that your peace would eventually envelop this world and that we could be at peace with you through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, help us to celebrate as the redeemed and help us to remember that as we celebrate what we feel, what we experience, what we think, what we understand about your grace, not only flows to us, but you call us then to allow it to flow through us into a world that is so broken and racked by sin and hatred that we would be agents of your peace. Father, make that true in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.